Hi there everyone, I trust you are well and I trust that you've really been blessed and ministered to by our messages on waiting on the Lord. And I want to build on that this week by talking about building resilience, building resilience. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for revelation, knowledge, and we open our hearts today, Lord, and we ask that you would minister to us deeply and really build in and activate in us this competence called resilience. Come and do it, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week, Manchester City was at the cusp of winning the Premier League title once again, but at the risk of losing their title because they were uh, nil to two, okay? They were two nil down, basically, to Aston Villa at 75 minutes. And uh, Liverpool were one point behind them and leading in their game that they were playing against Wolves. And to the amazement of many, Manchester City went on to win their game 3-2. Now, here's the interesting thing. They won 3-2 after scoring three goals between minute 76 and minute 81. That's three goals in five minutes. What makes a team do this? What makes a team do this? It's resilience. It's resilience. And you can have superstars playing in a team. You can have very talented players playing a team. But if they don't have resilience, they can't do what Manchester City did. Now, I'm not a Manchester City fan, but I'm a fan of resilience. And when I see resilience, I want to celebrate it. You see, many other teams drop their heads after they go down by one goal. And we've seen this happening so many times. But somehow these champions didn't. Somehow these champions didn't. So the key question for me is, what is it about these teams? Even Liverpool, just so that the Liverpool fans out there don't feel left out. But even Liverpool, if you look at what they did in their game against Wolves, they were, it was 1-1 for most of the game. But then they scored again in the 84th and 89th minute. Why do these teams do this? It's resilience. It's that mental toughness that they have. That causes them to do this. You see, resilience is positive adaptation in the face of adversity. It's positive adaptation in the face of adversity. Resilience is the ability to bounce back quickly from setbacks. And many people think they're resilient because they'll say, Paul, I bounced back from that adversity. But I say you didn't bounce back quick enough. You only bounced back after nine months, after two years. So you wasted all that time because you didn't bounce back quick enough. You see, resilience is the ability to bounce back quickly from setbacks. And you see, when we talk about resilience, there's psychological resilience, there's emotional resilience, there's physical resilience, and there's also community resilience. There's some communities that are very resilient. We wonder, how do they survive war? How did they survive genocide? How did they survive um, that pandemic? Community resilience. And in this message, I'm going to highlight the power of resilience. And I'm also going to outline four things that resilient people do differently. There are quite a number of things that resilient people do differently, but I'm going to highlight four of them. You know, I find it interesting that in sport, we intentionally develop resilience. 
You see this in open water swimming. My wife is a triathlete. She's a very strong swimmer. And they've got what they call that washing machine effect at the start of a race where you've got women, men, everyone just diving into the water. And you've got these grown men, big men, just, you know, swimming over the women and kicking and so on. You have to be resilient in times like that because you still have to be sighting so that you make sure that you don't actually end up uh, swimming in the wrong direction. I've seen this personally in distance running. The essence of distance running is to help you to build endurance, speed endurance in many ways. You learn how to run faster for longer periods without getting tired. You learn how to increase your, your pain threshold, your pain tolerance. You learn how to push through despite setbacks. What are some of those setbacks? Hard climbs or people overtaking you. We also see resilience amongst concert pianists or violinists, people who perform uh, musically in front of people or even actors. What happens when an actor forgets their line? They have to push through and continue acting. They can't just say cut when you've got an audience watching. With a lot of concert pianists and violinists, they taught these things. They taught forget about the mistake that you made, block it out and push through. Push through and focus on the moment. Focus on the next part that you're going to be playing. And that's what they do. Mike Edgar in Sports Psychology said, athletes need to remain in the present moment and focus on the task at hand. It is difficult to focus on the present when the mind is occupied with an error that occurred three plays ago. If you're playing cricket or baseball and you just focus on, oh, I made that mistake three plays ago, you'll have a problem because you can't focus on the moment. Unfortunately, somehow in the school of life, we tend to build resilience by default. We don't do it intentionally like in sport and music and other performance arts. In Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 to 14, it says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, this scripture can be applied to many aspects of life and is the principle that sets the groundwork for resilience. It's that principle that sets the groundwork for resilience. You're forgetting about that setback. You're not focusing on it. You're not dwelling on the calamity but you're pushing through and you're focused on the hope set before you. That's resilience. Resilience is essentially about outlook, isn't it? You're training your mind to respond differently to negative situations. You're not in denial. You're just telling yourself a different story. So my question to you is, can you turn your mess into a message? Can you turn your pain into progress? Can you turn your tragedy into triumph? One of the things we've seen is that some people are more resilient than others. But here's the interesting thing. It's not a fixed condition. You can actually develop resilience. Your resilience is a competency that you can actually develop and grow. And in sport, you gain fitness. You gain endurance. In life, we often learn resilience through the school of hard knocks. It's possible to do resilience training for your children by how you parent them. Had an interesting situation um, 
earlier on uh, this week where I was taking my kids to school and one of them had forgotten uh, their blazer at home and they really needed it. And they were quite concerned that they'll get in trouble because of a particular event that was taking place at school. And instead of trying to rescue him, I found it quite interesting just hearing him playing out different scenarios and being creative in problem solving in how he could end up getting hold of a blazer. I think it's so powerful when we allow our children sometimes to feel the heat, to feel the pain, and we don't rescue them prematurely because they will never be able to face adversity and overcome it through resilience. You can teach your children resilience intentionally just through the school of hard knocks instead of being a helicopter parent and rescuing them in any situation that they find themselves in. You see, it's important to understand the science of resilience so that we can pass it on to the next generation. Sadly, on the African continent, we know that our parents and great and great grandparents and grandparents had resilience in order to do what they did. But we don't always know how to replicate it because we don't really have a, a culture of, um, you know, things, things documented. Okay, we've got a strong oral tradition. Now, resilience is crucial because it helps us to help the next generation. We, something we can actually pass on. But it's also crucial because it helps us to avoid depression. It helps us to avoid anxiety. It helps us to avoid stress. I was actually um, teaching a team recently on this particular thing. That if you keep allowing yourself to be triggered emotionally by all sorts of things, you're flooding your body with cortisol, which is your stress hormone. And literally it stays there for a good four hours. And it's difficult for you to be productive while you're flooded with cortisol. And for some people, they're being triggered emotionally multiple times throughout the day. One of the remedies is when you're about to be triggered by that thing is to keep asking yourself, what else could be true? Suspend judgment. Tell yourself a different story. I don't know what triggers you. If it's someone cutting in the traffic in front of you. There's a particular guy who I was coaching who said to me he almost ended up in a road rage situation because of that, he was triggered by someone forcing him to cross a red robot. It was late at night. This uh, guy who had been coaching had been working late. And after some time, it came out that the person who was saying, go, 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 was actually rushing to the hospital. And he learned that he needed to actually suspend judgment. Do you know that one out of eight adults have anxiety? One out of six have depression? One out of three are experiencing stress. The consequences of these three challenges is so devastating to our health and our effectiveness. But when we're resilient, we overcome these things. You see, resilience is not about the power of positive thinking. We're not in denial about the adversity. We're not saying, no, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. We're just training ourselves with regards to what we choose to focus on. Lucy Hone, an expert on resilience, she had a sad experience where she lost a 14-year-old daughter in a car accident and she was going through this grieving process and at a certain point after some time, she was stuck at a certain stage of grieving and then she actually started to ask herself powerful psychological questions like, is this helping me or is it harming me? How is it contributing to my health being stuck in this grief process? And then she came to an interesting realization she said to herself, Lucy, you actually have a son who needs your love right now. And then she came up with this powerful statement. Don't lose what you have 
to what you have lost. Don't lose what you have right now because of what you lost before. You see, highly resilient people embrace calamity as part of life. It's a part of life. This calamity, yes, it's a part of life. But let me look for the opportunity in the calamity. They don't keep asking why me and binding themselves to a life of self-pity. They embrace the fact that, you know what? Life can sometimes be difficult, but there is life after adversity. And that's how you bounce back from those setbacks. And these resilient people get, what, get into what we call benefit finding. And this refers to a, a, a reported positive life change resulting from the struggle to cope with a challenging life event such as trauma, illnesses, or other negative experiences. And you know, it's so important to look at the positive consequences of negative events. They say that in the retail industry, when it comes to restaurants, it's been said that it only works out on average on the seventh try. And I know I've shared this a number of times, but just imagine that restaurant you love going to, it's not because it's the best restaurant that it's still there. It's because the people, that entrepreneur who owns it, who leads it, who manages it, if it's owner managed, was resilient. And when you ask them their story, they'll tell you, oh yeah, you know what? This is our fourth time trying out something like this. This is our eighth time trying out something like this. And now it's working, right? A lot of these restaurants closed down because they couldn't afford the rent in that mall. So if this is true, we should be asking ourselves, what are some key competencies of these resilient people? I want to study that. I want to understand what are some of their key competencies. Now, there are quite a number of them, but I want to highlight four. The first thing is this. Resilient people create their own stories. I've said this many times before, but we are not destroyed by our experiences, but by the story we tell ourselves of our experiences. Just think about that. Two people can experience something negative, but one of them tells themselves a certain story, the other one a different story. One of them experiences from a place of victim stance, and they become the victim, and they become depressed, and their whole life is affected. The other person creates their own story based on their interpretation of what happened, and they get into benefit finding and becomes a story for his glory. You know those people who take revenge on the enemy, what the enemy was trying to do to cause harm to you, you turn it around and you use it for good. How have you interpreted your life events? And is this interpretation accurate? Because that's really what destroys you. It's not other people's words over you. It's how you interpret those words. And then it's how many times you rehearse those words. That's what ends up affecting you. In addition to this, how many times have you rehearsed inaccurate interpretations? This is the thing that destroys you. It's the thing that destroys you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, we see an awesome example from uh, Paul the Apostle just of creating your own story. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. So he's acknowledging we are hard-pressed. He's not in denial. But he says, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted. He's not saying, I'm not persecuted, I'm not persecuted. No, we are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He told himself a different story with regards to his experiences. What are you telling yourself today? See, this mindset helps you to block out the naysayers. And that's an element of resilience, isn't it? You create your own story. You use it to your advantage. Whose report shall you believe? Whose report shall you believe? The enemy's report? Other people's report, people who aren't in faith? Or will you believe the report of the Lord? Isn't it great when your favorite footballer is being booed at his former home ground, but still goes on to score? That's resilience. That's resilience. Because you know what he's doing? He's blocking out the naysayers. I remember doing some work some years ago for an organization and people had become so cynical in that organization. And you know that the combination of cynicism and um, exhaustion is often burnout. If you look at two major pillars of burnout, it's exhaustion and cynicism. A lot of people are exhausted, but they're not cynical. What is cynicism? It's that chronic negativity. And so people in this organization, I'm not exaggerating, would say to me things like, Paul, because of how I've been treated, I no longer take work home. Not necessarily a bad thing. But then what I do is when I get to work, I look at the clock and I count down eight and a half hours. Okay? That's the kind of thing people were saying. One person said that to me. Another person was saying, you know what, Paul, they've earmarked positions for other people here. There's no place for me. So I think I'm going to leave. And the person left the organization. But what I say to people is when you have those cynical thoughts, write them down so that it's onto paper, off the mind. And then what you do afterwards is replace it with God's truth. Replace, replace it with something more accurate, not something stemming from your emotions or your interpretation of events. You see, that person could have said, you know what, it is actually true, Paul. There's no place for me here. But despite the fact that that may be a true statement, I'm making a decision that I know there are good mentors here and people who are really clued up. And I'm making a decision that I'm going to maximize on that while I'm here in this organization. I remember one person saying, the pension here is really good. So I'm making a decision that, Paul, you know what? I'm just going to keep my head down and I'm going to just wait until I get my pension. And this person was about 44 years of age at the time. They had great pension there. But is that person going to add value? They weren't going to add value because that was their cynicism. I remember a person saying, Paul, here, if you speak up, you get walloped. So from now on, I'm not going to speak up in meetings. I'm just going to keep my head down. Was that person going to add value? No. I want to encourage you, break out of stinking thinking. But you can't just say to yourself, I'm not going to think those negative thoughts. I'm not going to think those negative thoughts. No, you have to displace those thoughts with God's truth. You know, in our relationship with God, we know that he is good. We know that he has good plans for us. And part of being resilient is knowing that things will turn out well at the end of the day. We don't judge a matter prematurely based on present circumstances. We're people of hope because he is the God of hope. That's what the Bible describes him as. This is what we expect. Things will work out even when the odds are against us. If God is for us, who can be against us? A powerful practice is gratitude. It actually helps you to create a new story around something. It helps us to keep our focus on what is good and what we call hunting for the good stuff. In psychology, it's actually called benefit finding. 
What is the opportunity in the calamity? It's like a particular boss I heard of uh, who says, never waste a crisis. And I believe that that's one of the keys to his success. He says, okay, if there's a crisis, don't waste that crisis. Take advantage of it. I want to encourage you, create your own story. What's your narrative? Make sure God has the last word. It's okay to say this is a negative situation, but put God's words after that because he has the final say and make sure that's the thing you're rehearsing. The second thing resilient people do differently is resilient people are resourceful. They're resourceful. If you want to bounce back from setbacks quickly, you have to be resourceful. And there are two major types of resourcefulness I want to highlight. The first one is inner resourcefulness. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is so powerful. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's a scripture not just for casting out demons. That's a scripture that's telling me that the influence and impact I have on the world around me is bigger than it has on me. So no setback can overcome me. No setback can overcome me because of who is in the inside of me. God's spirit is on the inside of me. God has made uh, this, this body his inhabitation. That's inner resourcefulness. The Bible talks about the great and precious promises that we have in Christ Jesus, the weapons of righteousness that we have. It says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. As believers, we must know this. Bible says we have the mind of Christ. These are personal assets that no one can take away from us. I have courage. I have boldness. I have all these spiritual assets. That's my inner resourcefulness. I've got self-efficacy, which is one of the pillars of self-esteem. It's a characteristic of resilience. It's that belief in your ability to do something. Christ's spirit, the spirit of Jesus is my competence, my source of competence, my source of self-efficacy. It's this mindset that says, I've got this. I've got this. I'm complete in Christ. That's inner resourcefulness. The second type of resourcefulness is social resourcefulness. I'm not alone. I've got people who can assist me. I've got relational assets around me, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you're speaking to someone, maybe it's a colleague in the workplace, and they're stuck maybe on Excel, they're stuck with the formulas, and they've been stuck for about two hours. And then you say to them, hey, but you told me last week that you've got an uncle who trains people on Excel. Why don't you ask for his help? And the person's like, oh yes, oh yes, my uncle, of course, I must ask him for help. You know what's just happened? You're an asset-based thinker who's conscious of relational assets around you, social resourcefulness. But that person is a deficit-based thinker who's not conscious of their resourcefulness, the social resourcefulness around them, their relational capital around them. They're not conscious of it. I believe that God prospers us also by giving us people. One of the ways he rewards us is by giving us people where all the people that we need are there. Destiny helpers are there. Even angels. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 to 17, this is a key to our resilience. What made Elisha so resilient? His eyes were opened up to the spirit realm and he was conscious of who was with him. It says here, when the servant of the man of God 
got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Why was the prophet resilient? What he could see. He says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Do you know the angels that surround you? Do you know the army of angels that surround you when you are in times of battle, when you feel like you're experiencing setbacks? Just being conscious of your social resourcefulness will actually help you, will help me to be more resilient. And as with Elisha and his servant, our eyes need to be opened so we see who is for us. Do you know who your relational assets are? Do you know the human capital around you? Do you know the host of angels assisting you? The third characteristic or ingredient of resilient people is that resilient people take ownership. They take ownership. You know, there's a fine line between patience and passivity. And a lot of people are waiting for the powers that be to do something. Yet God is actually waiting for them to do something. We need to take ownership. We need to take ownership and not be passive. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Philippians is one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was actually in prison. And it's interesting because it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm not going to go into the theology of this, but I find it interesting that Paul was really in essence saying, guys, take ownership. Take ownership of your own salvation. Take ownership of your sanctification. Take ownership of your walk with the Lord. I'm, I physically can't be with you right now. I'm actually in prison, right? I can't get onto a ship and come and be with you. So I would like you to keep obeying even more in my absence. I believe that God is calling us to take ownership of our lives. And that makes us more resilient as people. Let me unpack it a little bit. You see, the starting point of taking ownership of your life is what I call facing stuff. Facing stuff. We're called to face ourselves where we actually say, you know what, I'm actually quite disorganized. You know what, I'm actually a people pleaser. Even positive things. You know what, I'm actually better than this. I'm actually smarter than the job I'm actually doing. I actually have underestimated myself. That's where you're facing yourself. It's important to also face your work. I'm not cut out for this. I don't think this is me. Let's swap roles. And we also need to face others where we have those difficult conversations with them. We cannot advance in our lives if we're not willing to face stuff. So take ownership of your life by facing stuff. Take ownership of your time. One of the key ways we do this is by keeping appointments with ourselves. The reason why a lot of people are not resilient is they're always emotionally overstretched. This person needs this. That one needs this. You know that each time you say yes to someone or something, you're saying no to something else because time is a limited resource that you have. 
A lot of us are very good at keeping appointments with other people because we respect them. Few of us are good at keeping appointments with ourselves. It's not easy for me to say, sorry, I can't meet with you. I'm just reading that book, developing myself. Sorry, I can't meet with you. I need to rest today. I need some me time. But we need to respect ourselves enough to be able to build into ourselves so that we're strong enough to be resilient. You see, David found strength in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And sometimes when we keep appointments with ourselves, that's exactly what we're doing. We're finding strength in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with self-care. Take ownership of your values. Again, this is critical. You know that research has found that when we stay true to our values, it helps us to build our resilience because the self is not divided. We're not saying yes to people concerning things that actually go against our values, right? And you actually become more authentic as a person. We're not trying to project this ideal image of ourselves while something else is going on on the inside. When you truly take ownership of your values, you become more authentic and decision-making is easier because you're not a people pleaser. You know that owning your values is actually a form of self-acceptance because you're actually saying, this is who I am. This is what I believe in and I'm not ashamed of it. These are my values. I encourage you to also take ownership of your space and your limits. What do I mean? I remember when my wife got her car in uh, a new, new car in beginning of 2017, she gets into her car and she says, kids, no eating in this car. It's her space. It's a space boundary. I know you're probably asking, Paul, how long did that last? But it was her space. And she said that. It's like saying, guys, no smoking in this lounge. And if you want to smoke, go outside and just watch what direction the wind is blowing. Right? You can say that because it's your space. Take ownership of it. It will help you with your resilience. Sleep is very important. And sometimes part of setting boundaries is setting limits. It's where you can actually say, if you've got a spouse who loves to entertain all the time, is to say, guys, it's been real. It's been great. You can carry on, but I'm going to bed now. I've got an early start tomorrow morning. You see, when you set these limits and you set these boundaries, you're not trying to control someone else's behavior, but you're basically guarding your heart. You're guarding what you let in. This is so important. It's also important to take ownership of your career. No one is going to manage your career for you. There's no one out there who's having sleepless nights about your career. It's up to you to manage your own career. It's up to you to actually say, this is how I'm going to develop myself. This is who I'm going to speak to. This is what I'm going to do. And you know, taking ownership also is about taking ownership of your relationships. You know, in some years, my wife and I would start the year by saying, you know what, who do we need to build with this year? Because it changes from year to year. And we might even make a list of people and that determines who we have for dinner, etc. Because you can't be best friends with everyone. That's ownership. And it makes you more resilient as a person. Otherwise, you just have collapsed boundaries. Take ownership of your relationships. Ask yourself, what are the relationships I'm going to initiate? What are the relationships I'm going to nurture? What are the relationships I'm going to rebuild? What are the relationships I'm going to redefine? What are the relationships I'm going to terminate? crucial. And I'm sure you've heard me, some of you, you've heard me teach on this subject and unpack those things. But I want to encourage you, take ownership of your relationships. It will help you to become more resilient as a person. Take ownership of your problems and the outcomes. 
You know that resilient people can detect the cause of their problems? Resilient people can do self-analysis and figure out how to avoid a problem from occurring again. They self-assess. And that's what God did. It says, as he created the earth, it says he looked and he saw, mm, it was good. Second day, looked, saw, mm, it was good. Okay. If God can self-assess, we can also do the same thing. See, resilient people are not fatalistic, but they've taken their power back. They've taken their power back. Resilient people live by design, not by default. And you know what? When I take ownership, I focus on what I can change. It's called selective attention. I focus on what I can change, not on what I can't change. I focus on my sphere of influence, my circle of influence, not my circle of concern. And become so powerful and I become more resilient as a person. So resilient people take ownership. And then finally, the fourth thing that resilient people do differently is resilient people are agile. They are agile. And you see, agility is to do with choosing your speed. Choosing your speed. Agile people can change direction quickly. I've often asked the question, who's a faster runner? Lionel Messi or Usain Bolt? And some people will see Usain Bolt running and say, oh, he's faster. But it depends, right? It depends because when he's doing 100 meters or 200 meters, of course, he's faster than Lionel Messi. But have you seen how quick Lionel Messi can turn and shift direction? And it's important to be able to do that. If you want to be resilient, you have to be able to adapt. People who are too rigid... People who are too rigid end up failing when it comes to resilience because they'll just push in one direction. But people who are agile, if they have a setback in one area, they're able to bounce back in another area. They're able to quickly change their minds about something and say, let's try it another way. You know, Paul the Apostle was agile and this actually helped him to be resilient. If you look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10, Again, very powerful scripture. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So they weren't resistant to the Holy Spirit. They flowed with the Spirit as he directed them. In verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So did they just say, oh, Spirit of Jesus is not allowing us. We are victims now. No, they were agile. Verse 8. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love that. We got ready at once after seeing the vision. Okay, is this what God is saying? Cool, let's do it. That is agility. That is agility. And it brings about a resilience because you're adaptable. If you study the science of resilience, you'll see that one of the constructs of resilience is adaptability. You cannot be a resilient person if you fail to adapt. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 to 20, I find it quite interesting because... Uh, in the passage I've just read to you, we were focused on how the spirit of Jesus 
was leading them or would stop them from doing a particular thing. Now look at this. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to see you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. What I find so interesting here is Paul the Apostle says, talks about his intense longing to see them. And he says, we made every effort to see you. That is resilience. And sometimes we're not resilient enough in our relationship building. Something blocks relationship and it could even be the enemy. And in this case it was. It says Satan blocked us. Satan blocked our way. But they were resilient. They looked at the hope set before them. They looked at the glory one day in the presence of our Lord Jesus. And even prior to that, they kept trying different things. It says, we made every effort to see you. With some of us, we know that God has called us to build relationship with person X. But we allow our schedules to block us. We allow situations, scenarios to block us. Maybe sometimes it's actually the enemy. Are you making every effort to do what God has called you to do? That's resilience, even in your relationships. This is so crucial. One of the things Warren Bennis said was that it is one thing to lead during times of stability. It is another thing to lead during times of replexity. He coined that term replexity. It means leading during times of replexity. Replexity is a combination of something being rapid, a rapid environment, and a complex environment. That requires agility. The world is not stable right now. Our society is not stable right now. We must be open to changing and adapting. Oh, this isn't working. Oh, these rates have gone up. Oh, this is now happening. Are we willing to adapt? So agility is the ability to respond effectively in real time. Those of you who are in business, in real time to business opportunities as well as business risks, I encourage you to do so. The agile business is able to adapt its original uh, stable configuration in order to effectively service its clients. Are you so rigid in this is how we are structured? No, your strategy informs your structure, not the other way around. Right? Agility speaks of movement and mobility. And you know what? When we are agile, we become more innovative. We become uh, this, this org organism that's continuously growing and transforming. Agility involves changing directions rapidly to change in an environment. Whatever changes are taking place in the environment, are you able to also change directions? Agility involves openness to change one's mind. Sometimes we're not willing to change our minds. Many people change their minds, but they're not quick to do so. When you create an agile culture in your church, in your family, in your business, guess what ends up happening? You become more resilient because you're willing to challenge the status quo. Things don't have to be as they always were. I believe that in an agile culture, um, mistakes are seen as one of the greatest sources of learning. Agility produces resilience. And I believe that one of the biggest barriers 
to agility is perfectionism. I like what um, has been stated in this particular quote that I'm going to read out to you. Perfectionists vary in their behaviors. Some strive to conceal their imperfections. Others attempt to project an image of perfection. Very interesting. Perfectionists vary in their behaviors. Some strive to conceal their imperfections. Others attempt to project an image of perfection. I've got material not developed by me, but by other people, where it's nine lessons. The module has nine lessons on how to overcome perfectionism. Our goal mustn't be perfectionism, because that's to do with anxiety. Our goal must be mastery. That's to do with growth and improvement. May God help us as we create our own stories. May God help us as we grow in resourcefulness. May God help us as we take ownership. May God help us as we become more agile. Those competencies will help us to become more resilient as a people. And in this day and age, we really, really need this. Resilience. Let's pray. Father, come and have your way in our midst. Come and do what only you can do. Come and build resilience, Lord, in our midst. Show us, give us strategies, Father. Speak to your people beyond even this message. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome in our lives. We want to be resilient. We want to bounce back from setbacks quickly. We don't want to be those, Lord God, who just give in without any backbone. We want to be those who push through with grit, with mental toughness, with stickability, with resilience. Father, come and help us, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you.